Hello, and welcome to The Professional Outsider. I'm Megan Herndon. On this show, we'll explore leadership and a whole lot more with the professional outsider himself, Randy Beck. Randy is founder and president of Route 2, Inc. His company works with senior executives, founders, and other leaders of leaders from 14 countries and across industries to improve leadership performance and drive better business outcomes. And now, he's here to help you. From sharing stories from his early corporate days and subsequent years as the professional outsider to leadership learning you can use and a whole lot more, welcome to The Professional Outsider. On this week's show, we'll be exploring five actions you can take to build a high-performing team. From motivating your employees to get on board with your company's vision, to staying optimistic when times get tough, welcome to The Professional Outsider. Hi, Randy. We're happy to be here today at the Seattle Film Institute. And in this episode, we're excited to talk about the foundation of high-performance leadership and the five actions you can take to build that leadership. To start us off today, can you tell us what the five actions you can take are? Good afternoon, Megan. Thank you uh, for the introduction. It's always a pleasure. So let me just list the five, and then we can come back and talk in detail. The first one is vision. You know, we talk a lot about visionary leaders, so having a vision is the first. Second is being an architect of what is necessary to achieve that vision. Third is the ability to build communities of trust. Fourth is creating parameters under which talented people can make independent decisions. And the fifth is optimism. So to start us off, can you explain vision? Let's talk a little bit more about vision. Vision is about what you want to become at some point in the future. What do you want your business to be at a point in the future? And um, the, the vision is critical because if you don't know where you're going, what you want to become, it's pretty hard to engage the right people to help make it a reality. And ideally, everybody on your team ought to share the vision and share a commitment to make it reality. So vision is part of creating the clarity that's necessary for good people to work cooperatively together to achieve something big. And so when you think about vision, uh, you know, the one that consultants talk about a lot, it's kind of the quintessential consultants uh, uh, comment when people ask what is a vision was a man on the moon in 10 years. That was the JFK vision. And it, it stimulated uh, the economy. It stimulated the uh, dreams of Americans. It was huge. It was big. And when you think about companies, uh, a big vision might be a computer on every desk. That's a pretty big deal, mm-hmm. computer in every home. And uh, the, uh, the visions that we, or the great companies that we see are a result of somebody having a thought of something that could be great mm-hmm. and being able to engage the right people to help make it happen. And how can you help or how can you start to engage people to really believe in that vision? Well, it's done in, in several different ways. If you're an entrepreneur and you have this powerful vision coming from your heart, this powerful dream that you want to make a reality, then it's perfectly fine to say this is the vision and engage people in helping you figure out how it's going to be achieved. Um, If you come into a new company with the task of turning around the company and you're trying to figure out what the company can be in the future, you know, maybe it's best to extract the best thinking from your team because people uh, in reality will be more engaged in making something happen if they contribute to it. And that's true whether you're defining the future of the company or you're defining how the future is going to be achieved. The more you can engage other people, the better. Mm -hmm. 
And how can you help your team to build ownership of that vision and to really get on board with it? Part of it um, is the issue of clearly articulating the vision. Mm -hmm. Second is finding people that are enthused and, and, and want to make that vision a reality. And in some cases, when somebody comes into a new company, they inherit a team. The vision emerges, and there may be team, a team member that's not on board with the vision. And that can't go on for too long. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I usually say when we facilitate uh, strategic planning sessions with clients and we've got an executive team in the room, we're trying to figure out what the vision for the future of the business is going to be. We talk about the price of admission and the price of admission is you get to be a part of defining the vision and you get to be heard. And you get to argue your point and you get to wrestle your point and you get to fight for your point. But ultimately, a decision will be made. Mm -hmm. And the decision may be made through a vote, which I don't particularly condone. It may be made um, by the authority of the most powerful person in the room. Or it may be made through multiple discussions, arguments, and like pulling teeth, difficult, challenging, getting people to agree. But the deal is, once the decision is made, regardless of how it's made, everybody who participates has two decisions. One is you're all in, you support it totally outside the room. The other option is you resign because you can't participate in it, be a senior leader in a company and not be all in once the decision on what the vision is going to be is made. And so moving on from number one, um, vision, can you tell me a bit more about building a social architecture within your organization? Well, it's a combination of a couple things. It's it's um, ar- architecture from a social standpoint to build the kind of community of people that are essential to create a great business and make the vision reality. But it's also an organizational architect mm-hmm. in, in terms of creating the right kind of structure the right kind of processes and the other pieces of um, strategy that are essential to making the vision a reality. Um, That is a, a, it it takes time and it takes good people usually beyond just the leader, but the leader, the top leader is in charge of creating the architecture that makes vision reality. And so tell me more about what you mean by architecture. Is that the way that the company is set up or the company culture? It's kind of all of the above. It's designing the company in a way that is most likely to make it successful in creating the, in, in achieving the vision rather. And so how can your company culture really help to reflect that vision? Can, do you have an example? Well, I think that, you know, the company, the company culture exist as a result of leadership. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we think of a healthy culture, you know, we think of a culture that is uh, fully aligned with what they're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. We think of a culture where people work cooperatively together to make things reality. And there's a lot of definers about culture even beyond that. So you think of Richard Branson, who's one of my favorite CEOs, and I've probably talked about him before in in the podcast. But if you look at the culture that he has created in his business, it's a very different culture than um, somebody else has created in another business. Let's Mm -hmm. take Jack Welch at GE. Very, very different culture. Some people fit in the culture of GE. Some people fit 
in the culture of uh, Virgin companies. Mm -hmm. Some people fit in the Microsoft culture. Some people fit in the Apple culture. Mm -hmm. You know, some people fit in the uh, Alfa Romeo or Ferrari culture. Some people fit in the Ford or the Toyota culture. And um, all different companies, all different cultures. But, you know, culture is kind of the the unwritten rules of how things are Mm -hmm. around here. Mm Mm-hmm. So moving along to step or to um, action number three, trust. Can you tell me a bit more about building trust? Yeah, when companies don't have high levels of trust between people, things just don't work right, and uh, the leader has an accountability for building trust. If you're the senior leader, the CEO, the top top person in the organization, Mm -hmm. you have an accountability for building community of trust. And part of that comes from the defined values. But more importantly than that, it comes from the way people live the values. What are the behaviors that make uh, the values reality? If we don't trust each other across departmental lines, uh, information doesn't flow well. If we don't trust each other throughout the organization, it's, uh, there's, when things don't go right, we spend a lot of time blaming somebody else rather than focusing all the energy, all the brain power of the organization on fixing what's wrong. So it, it's a deliberate thing because uh, there's a tendency of people not to trust each other. There's a tendency of egos to get in the way. There's a tendency of conflicts to blow up rather than resulting in innovation, creativity, and new and better ways of doing things. So being very deliberate about the behaviors of leadership that create trust is really essential for a high-performing organization. And the leader is the one that demonstrates that, defines it, and makes an essential criteria for everybody in the organization. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me a bit more about clearly defining the parameters within the organization? There's, um, I'm not a big one for excessive rules. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like a quote, uh, it's an old Peter Drucker quote. And what he said is that much of what we call management consists of making it more difficult for people to do their work. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about um, boundaries and parameters, what I'm talking about is, you know, what are the goals that we're trying to achieve? How are we going to evaluate ourselves against those goals and our process towards those goals? What are the uh, boundaries within which we have to operate? You know, budgetary boundaries. Uh, What are the barriers we have to overcome? What are the things that um, we need to stop doing? Uh, What are the things that we really, uh, uh, what are the things we all agree on that allow independent decisions to be made at the lowest possible levels in the business. So, you know, if we have clarity around the vision of the organization, if we have clarity around the values and the behaviors that are essential to the values, if we trust each other, then we know that if we're making decisions within those guidelines, within those realities of the business, and we're making them in alignment with um, our commitments then we're probably pretty safe to make an independent decision. And the bosses can't make all the decisions. In fact, sometimes bosses having to make decisions get in the way. And it's really important to uh, provide people the freedom to do their, their best work. But they can only do that if everybody understands where we're going and what guides us as we get there and what are the parameters under which we have to operate. 
And as a leader, how can you both communicate and make sure that those parameters are stuck to or enforce those parameters? Well, I think that there's a couple of things. And you mentioned how do you communicate. Communication is the big deal. And there's multiple, a lot of times when a a new vision is created, um, it has to be communicated in multiple modalities and persistently over a long time, particularly if it's a significant change in direction, because it may mean changes in the organization, some of which are good for people, some of which aren't good for specific people. And helping people get through those kind of changes that a new direction dictates is a challenge, requires excellent communication, openness, transparency, honesty, uh, the opportunity for people to complain for a while, the opportunity for people to get around their arms around the changes and understand why are they being done and what the future holds. And for those that the change doesn't appear to be good on the surface, more communication, two-way communication helps people get through it. If people can't adapt, can't get all in with changes, regardless of the communication, then they probably have to go work somewhere else. I think the other thing that is a part of communication that's critical is the ability to give and receive feedback. The best leaders are very good at giving accurate feedback with the intention of helping people learn and grow. Bad leaders tend to give what they call constructive criticism. And unfortunately, constructive criticism frequently isn't. And then finally, number five, optimism. Can you tell me a bit more about optimism and how that can help you be a higher performing leader? One of the things that is critical for a leader is to convey a sense that uh, we're going to achieve what we set out to achieve, to uh, provide confidence in the capacity to make happen what needs to happen. And every business, is every family, everybody has good times and bad times. Mm -hmm. And while we don't want to sugarcoat when things are bad, I think being able to deal with the negative, deal with the bad, deal with the loss of a big customer, a big client, with the optimism that things will be better tomorrow, it's really critical for somebody uh, in to lead and to step up and say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna fix this. Here's how we're gonna do it." Or I don't know how to do it, but we are gonna do it. Let's get together and figure it out. Uh, I think that sense of optimism. You know, nobody wants to be around pessimists. And in business, it's death to have a pessimist leader, you know, because the sky is always falling. Oh my gosh, it's going to be the worst thing in the world. Well, you know, after a while, um, that crying wolf sort of approach to problems uh, gets old. People like to feel optimism and enthusiasm. And I'm not not saying um, that it's cheerleader-like. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm just talking about a sense that we can accomplish this. It's going to be tough. You know, we just lost a client that's 40% of our revenue. It's going to be tough. And we're going to have to do some things to deal with that. Let's get to figure get together, figure out what they're going to be. And uh, tomorrow's another day. Next month's another month. We have gotten new clients before. We'll get new clients again. And how are some ways that you can help just reset your framework in those sorts of situations. Because, you know, as you said, we lost a client that's 40% of our income. Instead of being, you know, down and upset, how are some ways that you can really help first turn yourself around so you can help turn your team around and really keep that optimistic spirit? History is a good teacher. 
in that regard. And um, I grew up in an entrepreneur's family. And I, my dad was a blue collar entrepreneur. My grandmother had a, a, a local grocery store. And um, there were good times and bad times. And there were times when we lost customers that were 40% of our business in one of my dad's clients. And it happened um, periodically in one of his businesses. And I can remember my mom is, we didn't have a lot of discretionary income. Mom was always trying to make a dollar do the work of $3. And she would always freak out whenever we lost a customer, a significant customer. And the thing that was crazy is that she was the worrier and dad was the optimist. And I can remember dad every time saying, honey, it's going to be okay. You know, we've lost customers before. We always get new customers. And in fact, sometimes we get two or three new customers after we lose one. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. Well, you know, the kids need new coats. Uh, you know, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And um, sure enough, it always worked out. There's always more business. And uh, entrepreneurs learn that pretty early on, that there's always more business. It can be painful for a while, but there's always more business. And so I think that uh, the if we take it from my dad's little entrepreneurial family businesses into the bigger realm of the kind of clients that I work with, there are solutions to problems. Sometimes they're painful. Uh, sometimes the problems are significant, but seldom are they problems that you can't recover from unless they're ethical or integrity problems. Mm hmm. And so to close up our episode today, we talked about vision, we talked about organizational architecture, we talked about trust, we talked about clearly defining parameters, and we talked about optimism. These are all some big ideas. What are some concrete ways we can implement these into our everyday work and leadership? When we talk about these five things, we're talking about redefining a business. We're talking about creating a new pathway for an organization. And we're also talking about the things that need to be in place for a business to be successful longer term. But if you think about these five things, let's think about them in the context of our lives. And in reality, they're pertinent to our lives also. You know, gee, I ought to have a vision. I ought to have a vision. If I'm going on a trip, I ought to have a vision of where I want to go. And if I have that vision, I ought to maybe think a little bit about uh, how I'm going to get there. What mode of transportation am I going to use? Am I going to drive the car? Am I going to ride the motorcycle? Am I going to take an airplane? Am I going to go on the train? Um, and uh, maybe to have a good life, I ought to build some high trust relationships. You know, maybe I ought to build a high trust relationship with the person that's going to be my partner in my life. You know, maybe my kids ought to trust me. You know, maybe I ought to have good relationships with my neighbors that are built on trust. Um, maybe I need to have some boundaries and parameters as to how I'm going to live my life. And, uh, gee, I sure don't want to live a pessimist's life. I'd really like to be optimistic about things. I'd really like to stop complaining about the rain and be optimist, uh, an optimist that the sun is going to come out in Washington again. So, you know, I think yep. some of the things we talk about in business, maybe they're done in a different way and maybe they're done. Maybe it's more difficult too because we have to engage other people. You know, these five characteristics of high performing leaders are the five things that high performing leaders do, the five actions that high performing leaders do to create great businesses. Now, you know, these are big umbrella things. There's a lot of actions that take place within them, within each one of them. And there are skills that are essential to 
make those reality. But the starting point is to have the perspective that if I'm a leader in an organization or if I want to lead my life, I need to understand that I got to do these five things. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about these five actions we can take as an individual leader, but how can we you know, work with other people and just find support in making sure that these actions happen? Most often in organizations, we work on teams now. Mm-hmm. So let's take, for example, we've got a senior leadership team in an organization. And that senior leadership team is the team that has defined the future of the organization and essentially is doing the five things that I mentioned, both collaboratively as members of the senior executive team. And then they're also taking that leadership, uh, these five things and flowing them down through their own organizations. One of the things we do with um, senior teams and with other teams in the organization that want to be high performing is we do a process called team chartering. And what the team chartering process does is define these sorts of things that you're talking about in terms of creating structure around how we're going to behave as a team, how we're going to hold each other accountable, and how we're going to know that we really are accomplishing what we said we were going to do. I mean, we have the standard financial metrics that exist in every organization, but we also need to have some way of measuring the things, our progress and our our, um, ability and consistency in doing the things we have committed to do that we know will make the metrics that we play to be what we want them to be. We are accountable in multiple directions in our lives. You know, we're accountable to ourselves And I think that includes being accountable to being better tomorrow, better next year than we are this year, to learning and growing. We're accountable to our family and friends. We're accountable to our organization, our business, our customers. And we also have an accountability to each other. And not to get too much on a political soapbox, but I think we have an accountability to each other in society. We have an accountability to our communities, to our businesses. We have an accountability to be a decent human being. And we have an accountability to be a leader. And when I say an accountability to be a leader, I don't mean to be a leader with a title in an organization. I don't mean to be a senior vice president. I don't mean to be a uh, CEO or a C-level executive. Although, bless you, if you want to do that work, it's critical work because leadership is a solution. It always is. But... I think if leaders with titles are really good at helping leaders, helping people that don't have titles become leaders in their personal behavior, leaders in accountability, leaders in the way in which they do what they do and serve both in the business and outside the business, then we've done our role. We've done our work as a leader. And you don't have to have a title to be a leader. But if you have a title, you better be a leader and you better be a good one. Thanks again, Randy, for your thoughts today. And thanks to all of you out there listening to our show. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, share it on social media, and tell your friends about it. If you're interested in bringing the professional outsider himself to your team and workplace, find out more at www.route2results.com. 